okay. So when I was in college, uh, a friend of mine was part of this evangelistic training program where they were learning how effective ways and how to share their faith with other people. And one of the main skills, one of the key skills that they were learning in this training program was how to make friends, how to especially how to make friends with someone you've never met before. And so they, they were learning how to do this. And my friend was really enthusiastic about really mastering this skill of making friends with other people. Um, and so he began practicing everywhere he could. One morning he went to a restaurant for breakfast. And as he placed his order, he got the ideas as he was you know, talking to the waitress, placing his order, really, just, just saying what he wanted, it came into his mind, this is a perfect opportunity to practice what I'm learning and to make friends with this waitress. So when she returned, he decided that he would ask her a question that would hopefully start a conversation, have some kind of positive interaction, maybe, who knows, maybe even lead to some kind of an evangelistic conversation, maybe be able to pray with her or something like that. But when she brought the food, when she appeared with his food, his order, and she brought it to the table, some, something happened. I don't know if she tripped or what happened, but somehow she fumbled his order and spilled it all over the table in front of my friend. Now, of course, she felt really embarrassed about what just happened. I mean, here she is, a waitress. She should know how to be able to bring the food there. Um, but she, she felt embarrassed. But, but this was a great opportunity to be a friend to this waitress, Unfortunately, what came out of my friend's mouth while the, while the waitress is, is just trying to clean things up um, was this question. So, how long have you been a waitress? As you can imagine, his attempt at uh, making friends didn't quite turn out the way he hoped it would. Um, and although my friend meant well, and he's like one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet, um, if this waitress was needing encouragement that day, if she was just worn out, if she was tired, if she was just needing someone to come along and just give her a lift, give her a boost, my well-meaning friend, his good intentions were not enough to do that for her. In our world today, many, many people are discouraged. Many people are tired. I'm not just talking about physical tiredness. There's a soul tiredness in our world today. A tiredness that comes from stress. I mean, this, we could say that this was true before COVID, but COVID and all the other stuff, political, racial tensions, all, all kinds of things that are happening in, in our country have just, have just amplified these, these experiences and these feelings. People are tired of the stress. They're tired of uncertainty. They're tired of attempts to improve our world that aren't doing any good. They're tired of attempting to improve their lives and failing. There's, there's a soul tiredness. There's a discouragement. People all around us need encouragement. The problem is, is that can, we can mean well. We can see the discouragement, and we can say, man, how can I encourage? We can mean well, but just like my friend, unless we know how to encourage others, what we say can actually make things worse. So today we're going to look at a teaching from the Bible. Oh, and by the way, not saying something isn't that great either, right? Like you might not offend them, um, but if we don't say anything, that, that doesn't help either. Like there, there's a need to be able to say encouraging words, to do it in an effective way. So today we're going to take a look at a teaching from the Bible that helps us understand why our good intentions alone are not enough to encourage others. 
and how you and I, no matter who you are, we can be effective in offering hope and real encouragement, speaking life into the lives of people who are tired and weary and discouraged all around us. The title of the message this morning is Encouraging Tired People. I'd like, before we uh, get into the Bible here, I'd like to just pause for prayer. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we recognize your spirit present. We're so glad that you are with us. We need you to understand rightly. On our own, we, no matter how good, intention, our, good our intentions are, we, we just aren't enough when it comes to serving you, following you, helping other people, and being the people you want us to be ourselves. So we ask that we would hear you speaking to us now, that the Spirit of Christ would teach us the way to walk in, in words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to invite you to turn to Isaiah chapter 50. And we're going to be in Isaiah 50, uh, right, right around verse 4 for the entire time together. So um, please go ahead and, and open your, your smart device or, or your uh, Bible um, to Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. During Isaiah's life, God's people had been suffering from spiritual complacency. There, there'd been this process of decline that had been taking place for, for years, and, it would, and, and they were suffering as a result. Now, just, just a few generations before the time of Isaiah, the nation of Israel had reached the pinnacle of their power under the reign of King David. Now, King David, he, he had his issues. He, he wasn't, obviously wasn't a perfect person. But the theme of David's life was this desire, this passion to have God fully be God in his life, that, that God would be his one and only God. That was, that was the pursuit of David's heart. That was his desire. And as a result, with this kind of a person leading the nation, God was able to bless them abundantly. Israel had nothing to fear. With God fighting for them, they never lost a battle. They didn't live in fear of some nation coming and attacking them that was stronger than them because God was protecting them. But after King David, the kings of Israel and, and Judah began to supplement their religious experience with other gods. Starting with Solomon, they began to introduce idol worship. They, they put idols on these hilltops and, and began to mingle the worship of the one true God with worshiping other gods. And as they did this, things only got worse. Their society became increasingly cruel and oppressive, and they became vulnerable to being overcome by nations stronger than them. Already during the time of Isaiah, already the, the nation of Assyria had come and uh, taken some of the tribes of Israel captive. They, they'd taken over their lands and they'd, they'd deported uh, the people living there from the tribe of Israel. They, they saw the consequences of rejecting God, but they continued to do so. And about a hundred years after the time of Isaiah, the last holdout, Judah and, and Jerusalem, the very city where God had chosen to be his home, the, the place where, where he would dwell, even this place would be overthrown by the nation of Babylon. So this was a discouraging time. Isaiah could see the train wreck coming, so to speak. But in spite of rejecting God, God's people on a whole had rejected him by worshiping other gods. In spite of rejecting God, God had not rejected his people. Because God just doesn't do that. He doesn't reject us. He affirms this in Isaiah chapter 50. And in verse 4, God gives his people a message, a, a message of encouragement. Look at what it says in Isaiah 50, verse 4. 
The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue, the NIV says, to know the word that sustains the weary. Hear the encouragement there. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. God is about sustaining weary people. He sees us. Now, if you're feeling discouraged this morning, if you're feeling tired, and, and when it talks about weariness here, it's not talking about physical weariness. It's talking about this soul tiredness that we we're mentioning earlier. If you're feeling that way, if you, can, if you can relate to this, God knows how to encourage you. He knows how to encourage and sustain weary people. He sees the problems that are in your life right now that wear you out. He understands spiritual struggles, like when you try and try and try to change some habit that's pulling you down, that's messing your life. He he sees those struggles. He understands these things that are discouraging. And even if the discouraging circumstances in your life are a direct result of the bad choices you have made, the Bible is telling us that God is still actively at work to sustain weary people. This is what God does. This is what he excels in. He comes along and he lifts us up, even if it's our fault that we are where we are. The Hebrew word translated sustain, as it's rendered here in the NIV, it it has several shades of meaning. It can be uh, translated as to comfort. It can be translated as caring for, as as a shepherd might care for. Uh, It can also be translated like the New King James Version has it, kind of the classic translation, is a word in season. In other words, the right word at the right time. Just how wonderful that is. But the essence of this word is basically encouragement. God knows how to encourage weary people. Now, typically when we think about the, the act of encouraging, we don't think of it as purely a Christian activity. In other words, it's only those people who know God that are able to encourage. Typically, we don't think of it in those terms. Um, for example, if, if someone sees a child who is discouraged, and that person perhaps is an atheist or someone who does not believe in God, we might think that even that person would be able to do something encouraging for a child that is, that is hurting, that is, that, is need, that is discouraged, that is maybe afraid and, and needs some encouragement. We, we would think that even an atheist could see a person like that and, and say, well, I can do something. I can put my arm around this child. I can tell this child, hey, you're not alone. I'm, I'm here for you. But as encouraging as these acts and these words might sound, what the Bible is telling us here is that ultimately, without God, there is no encouragement. Because our problems are bigger than what humans can solve. So even if I don't believe in God and I try to go encourage somebody, I can only give what I have, and that's not what they need. Notice where encouragement comes from in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Encouragement comes from the sovereign Lord. He gives. It's a gift. Listen to the language there. It's something that we don't have, but God comes and he gives this gift of an an instructed tongue. Another way that that can be translated is the speech of a disciple. Same, same idea. He gives us an instructed and an educated ability to to speak to others in a skillful, meaningful way to encourage them. If we are going to encourage anyone, it's only because we are entirely dependent on God. 
In fact, we are so dependent on God for this whole experience to, to speak encouraging words that we even need him to wake us up. Listen, look at who does the waking in verse 4. It says, he wakes us up. He wakes me up morning by morning. God realizes that we might be able to be physically present, maybe, but even then, our ear needs to be awakened, and so he wakes us up. And he does this, look at the process, he does this morning by morning. In other words, one morning of instruction is not enough. It happens, needs to happen morning by morning. To encourage others, we need to listen daily to the instruction of God, receiving from him this gift of his presence, this gift of his instruction on how to encourage others. Now, some people might be thinking, wait a second, Pastor Brian, do I really need to, to cut my sleep short, to wake up early in the morning and spend time with God in order to say something encouraging? Do I really need to do that? Obviously, people can say stuff like, you got this. Like, don't give up. We can do that without any special instruction. We, we know how to do that. But as encouraging as this might be, and perhaps you've said this to someone, maybe someone said this to you, hey, you got this, and it's be like, okay, yeah, I can keep on going. As encouraging as this might be, let me just throw this out to you. If our encouragement leads other people to trust in themselves— we are setting them up ultimately for failure. We're setting them up for more discouragement. Let me give an example to kind of put this in, in, in perspective. What would happen if you told an alcoholic, you got this? What would happen if you, if you went up to somebody who is, who is suffering from an addiction and you said, don't give up? By definition, an alcoholic is someone who uses alcohol so much that it's ruining their life. They know that it's ruining their life. And even though they know it's ruining their life, they continue doing it. And if someone has promised themselves that they would not drink again, if they've told their family with tears in their eyes that they are going to stop, but in spite of their best efforts, they cannot stop drinking, and then someone comes along or they tell themselves, you got this. How is that going to go over? What good is that? If you are not strong enough to deal with the problems in your life, any encouragement to trust in yourself is a recipe for failure. What is true of the alcoholic is also true of the sinner, and that includes all of us. The reality is, is that we are not enough when it comes to overcoming our the stains in our character, our character defects. We're not enough. We don't have the power to do this. Self-reliance is our natural go-to, but self-reliance is the problem. The truth is, we don't got this. That's the truth. And although that may seem like a discouraging thing to say to, hey, you don't got this, <laughs> that, that might sound discouraging, we cannot know the awesome power of God until we give up on trusting ourselves. That's when we find the awesome power of God. This experience of letting God wake us up every morning to be instructed by him is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's a follower of Jesus realized that we bring nothing good to the table. We come needy, but if we come with open hands, then God has promised to instruct us and to give us exactly what we need. 
This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be this experience right here that we're reading in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4, to be woken up, to be given words, morning by morning, spending time with God. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, because this is what Jesus experienced here on earth. Although it might sound like in Isaiah 50 verse 4, we are reading Isaiah's personal testimony of his devotional experience. That's not who's talking here. Isaiah is not the one who's talking in in verse 4. Verse 1 tells us the context. It says that the one who is talking is the Lord. The Lord is speaking here. And the Lord is speaking to himself. Just follow this. When he says, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue, this is a conversation between the Lord and the sovereign Lord. Now, this might sound a little strange, but it makes since when we realize that this is talking about Jesus. This is a prophecy, a messianic prophecy. It's, it's speaking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who is saying that the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. He wakes me up morning by morning. During Jesus' earthly ministry, he depended fully upon the Father. And, and we don't have to guess on this. He tells us himself. Look, look what it says in John 5 verse 19. Jesus is speaking here. He says, very truly, in other, in other words, this is absolutely sure. It's certain. You can take this to the bank. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. How much can the Son, the, the Son of Man here, um, speaking about Jesus, speaking about himself, how much can he do on his own? Not even a little bit. Jesus is saying, I can of myself do nothing. He was completely dependent upon his Father. He allowed God to wake him up morning by morning. And in their time together, as he would go off in the quiet and listen to God and be instructed by God, Jesus would receive from his Father the words of encouragement and the words of life that our world desperately needs to hear. And he did this knowing that these words, that this time that they spent together, this time of instruction, this time of loss of sleep, I'm sure in, in many cases, this time together would, would result in, in these words of encouragement that would be rejected by so many people. Isaiah 50 verse 6 prophesies that Jesus would be beaten, that his beard would be pulled out, that he would be mocked, that he would be spat upon. And yet, he was so committed to serving us that he let God disrupt his sleep to give words of encouragement that we need to hear. Following Jesus as a disciple is an experience, a lifelong experience of learning. It's a commitment to learning from him. Isaiah 50 verse 4 says that we need daily instruction. It's morning by morning. It's a daily experience. Daily instruction in how to encourage others. Now to appreciate the importance of being properly instructed, suppose for a moment that you needed surgery to save your life. What are the chances that you would let someone operate on you who has not been properly instructed? What if this person said, hey, you know, I went to medical school for a few semesters, but then I dropped out. I didn't need that. I, <laughs> I already knew. I felt like I knew plenty already. And after all, I sincerely want to help people. And isn't that all we need? If someone like this tried to operate on a person who 
anyone really, if someone without the proper instruction tried to operate, it's probably not going to turn out well. We need, uh, we, we need gifted people. We need surgeons. We need medical doctors who are properly trained. And if you need surgery, you're going to want somebody who not only has a, a proper medical training, they have their medical degree, but not only that, we want someone who's continually learning, continually improving themselves, right? Someone who's staying up on the latest research, someone who is availing themselves of training and how to do things better. We want someone who is committed to a lifelong process of learning because even the most talented, gifted physicians need to be instructed. They need to be developed. They need to, to learn, to have a positive influence. Now, proper instruction is not easy. It's a sacrifice. It requires all kinds of time and energy and effort and resources. But if we let God wake us up morning by morning and instruct us on how to give encouraging words to other people, how to depend upon him, we're going to be able to speak life to weary, discouraged people. It's going to happen. You will be effectively trained to make a difference in the weary, burdened people around you. At the end of the 18th century, a man by the name of William Wilberforce, perhaps you've heard of him, uh, was about to give up on his life calling. As a follower of God, he believed that slavery was a horrible thing. It was, it was cruel. It was oppressive. It was a denial of, of human rights, human, human, you know, the character of God and, and, and the image of God being placed in humanity. It was a denial of all that the value of a human being. And so William Wilberforce decided that he was going to do everything he could to bring this horrible institution. He was, he was in the uh, part, of, part of the British Empire. He, he, he was going to do everything he could to bring this horrible institution in Britain to an end. There's a picture of him uh, right up there on the screen. You get, a, get an idea of what he looked like there. The problem was that as he went to work to, to try to change people's minds, to try to come up with legislation that would end this horrible thing of slavery, this, this horrible institution in the British Empire, there was all kinds of resistance. The problem that he was facing was that slavery had made the British Empire very wealthy. They had, they had grown really wealthy off of this. They were benefiting uh, so much from it. Um, they enjoyed very much having the sugar that was produced by slaves in the plantations in, in the West Indies, and, and they enjoyed putting that in their tea, and, and, it, and it sweetened their pastries. And, and, you know, after all, the abuses of slavery were taking place, uh, by and large, out of sight. They were happening overseas, and, and so it was easier to ignore by those living in England. Nonetheless, Wilberforce continued to, to press on, and, and as a member of parliament, he used his influence, he used his eloquence, he was extremely eloquent, he had this just gregarious, warm personality. He worked tirelessly to try to persuade the minds of England's leaders to, make an, to bring an end to, to uh, slavery. But in spite of all his efforts, there was little or no success, and the goal, the end goal, was so far away, he just wasn't getting there. It, seemed, it just seemed impossible. Discouraged, William Wilberforce began to consider just giving up. You know what? Maybe, maybe I'll devote my time to something else. This is a noble pursuit, but it's not going anywhere. He, he was discouraged, and as he contemplated get, giving up, Word got out to an elderly friend of his that was on his deathbed. This friend was named John Wesley. John Wesley heard that the young, influential, 
enthusiastic Wilberforce was discouraged. And so he decided to write Wilberforce a letter of encouragement. There's, there's John Wesley right there. Tried to, he decided he was going to, he was going to, on his deathbed, he was going to write John, uh, write um, William Wilberforce um, some, some words of encouragement to keep him going. And I'd like to read to you, I'd like to put it up on the screen, what he wrote to his young friend, William Wilberforce. He says this, Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. People don't have what it takes to stand up against the opposition of devils and men. In other words, is what he's saying. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them stronger than God? Think about that. Oh, be not weary of well-doing. Go on in the name of God. Go on in the power of his might till even American slavery shall vanish away before it. What a classic example of encouragement. This is an incredible message of encouragement. And what is it that makes John Wesley's words so encouraging? He's not saying, you got this, Wilberforce. Just continue on. He's saying, continue on trusting in God. Who's going to stand up against God? Trust in him. If God is for you, who is going to be against you? It's an incredible message of encouragement. Six days after John Wesley penned these words, he passed away. But the power of his encouragement lived on. With this message of encouragement, Wilberforce found strength to fight for the abolition of slavery. Get this, another 45 years. Three days before William Wilberforce himself died, he saw the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. He didn't give up because there was someone that encouraged him not to depend upon himself, but to, but to depend upon Almighty God. Words of encouragement are powerful. Words of encouragement that turn people off of, off of self-dependence and, and direct, them to their direct their attention to the one who has all power. That is powerful. And that is something that we can all do. We can lift up tired people. We can give words of encouragement, life to the discouraged. And if there was ever a time when our world needed people who know how to skillfully give words of encouragement, which really isn't that big of a deal, but it's just telling other people to, to look to God. We need God to show us how to do this. If ever there was a time when the world needed it, it's now. People don't just need well-intentioned, good intentions, well-intended Christians. People need people who know how to encourage others because they have received encouragement from God themselves. We need to encourage other people. I need encouragement. You need encouragement. There are people in this world, in our community, that need our encouragement. They don't need our good intentions. They don't need it for us to come along and say, hey, you got this. They need someone who has spent time with Jesus, someone who's been instructed, someone who's been changed by Jesus, changed in a way that they, they don't want to depend upon themselves. They don't want to encourage other people to do that. Change in a way where they have tasted of the power and goodness of God, and they want to direct other people to that. If you are willing to let God wake you up morning by morning, you can be of incredible service to those around you, to your family, to those you work with, to your church family, and to your community. If you're willing to let God wake you up and to be your teacher, if you will humbly go before him and say, I don't have this. I need for you to teach me. I need for you to instruct me. 
I don't want to depend upon myself anymore. If you can accept that you need to be instructed by him, he will teach you how to encourage tired people that are all around you. By leading other people to find their strength, not in themselves, but in the awesome power of God, you can speak words of life, encouraging tired people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for encouraging us. Thank you that Jesus is the ultimate encouragement. God, forgive us for trying to do it on our own. Forgive us for depending upon our good intentions, upon our own power. When what we need and what the world needs is something far greater than anything we could ever offer. God, I pray for skill for myself, for each of my church family here, that we would build each other up, encouraging them to depend upon you, just as Wesley encouraged Wilberforce. Father, may we see the opportunities you're giving us to encourage other people, and may we spend time with you each day so that we are ready to give a word in season, to give a sustaining word, an encouraging word to those who are tired around us. In Jesus' name we pray.